And so Jesus comes on the scene. And uh, there's one place in all of Scripture where he gets violent. I don't know about you, but I can appreciate a violent Jesus. Okay? Call me crazy, but I can appreciate a violent Jesus. Not violence towards people, right? Not this Jesus, uh, but, but a violence. There's a violent aspect to your walk with God. Do you know that? There's a violence to true Christianity. It's not in other people. And so the one place where Jesus is not at other people. Okay, let's get that clear. Let's not start boxing in the, in the foyer. There's a violence to Christianity. And so Jesus, the one place in all of Scripture, he premeditates his violence as well. It says in other parts of Scripture that he walks into the temple and he sees all these things that are going on. And he goes, and he doesn't act right there, but he goes somewhere else and he begins to weave a whip. I wish I had a bullwhip because I'd crack one in here and show you kind of what it was like. I don't have a bullwhip. I used to get hit with them by my brother when I was a kid, so have bad memories. <laughs> so, so Jesus leaves the temple and he begins to premeditate what he's about to do. So he goes into the temple. Let's read. This is all connected. We're going somewhere. You guys feeling this? You, you getting, getting something? Okay. You got all night anyways, right? It's New Year's Eve. No, I ain't going to do that to you. Matthew 21, 12 through 17. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? Have you perfected praise? Then he let them, led them out, left them and went out to the city to Bethany and he lodged there. And so you have this scene where not long before this. Remember, remember the, the palm branches? You have a scene where Jesus, not long before this, he mounts a donkey. He, he could have gotten on any animal. A donkey wasn't an animal of authority in Jewish culture. The donkey wasn't the, the war horse of the day. It was this lowly animal. And this is one of the main reasons why the Jewish people today reject Jesus as their Messiah because they believe that when the Messiah comes, he's going to overthrow it all. But they don't realize he's still going to do that, right? But he had to come as a suffering servant first. So he comes on his, on his, on his donkey and he rides into Jerusalem. And what do they begin to say to him? They begin to wave their palm branches. They began to say Hosanna, the same thing they did with Judah Maccabee in the revolt. They began to say Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And what they're saying, remember what they're saying, they're, they're acknowledging that you are the Messiah. You are the Lord, save us. First of all, you are the one that provides bread. You are the one that provides sustenance. Number two, you are the one that brings spiritual life, spiritual freedom. And they were acknowledging that you are the only one. 
that will bring political freedom. And so not long after this, Jesus walks into the temple and he drives out the people that were selling doves and the money changers. And it's easy to gloss over the story. It's easy to just read through it like, why was Jesus so mad? You know, what, what was it? Did they, they had money in the church? What, you know, I, I used to read this like, this doesn't make any sense. But when you begin to study the culture and you begin to understand what is going on in Jewish culture, there was these people called money changers. The, 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 in the Hebrew, they would be the equivalent to the money banker. Okay? 2008, 2009, America, the money bankers, the AIGs, right? Is this, is this clicking for you? The, the Wall Street people, right? The people that, that are exploiting everybody. The people that are taking advantage of the money bankers. So these people would come in and they would travel from all over the Roman Empire. They would ride ships and it would be a three days journey and they would finally get to the temple. And some of these people were very poor. They didn't have very much money. And so they would save up what little bit of money they had and they would come to the temple and they would buy, they would purchase a sacrifice. But if you were from a different land, you couldn't just bring any currency, right? It's, it's kind of like America and Australia. You can't come here and spend Australian money. You have to have the American dollar. You can exchange it, but you have to have the proper currency. That's why when Jesus is talking to his disciples and they say to him, should we render, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus says, whose image is on that coin? It's the same kind of idea. And so these people would come and they would take their foreign currency and they would exchange it for the right currency. They had to do that before they can even buy their sacrifice. And so these people, they had the market on the currency. They controlled the economy of the temple. And they were charging exorbitant amounts of interest. Does this sound familiar to you? Do you realize that the word usury in Hebrew is the word neshak? It means to strike like a serpent. This whole system of interest and interest that our society, that our American culture is built on. It's like the strike of a serpent. Who's the serpent in the Bible? It's Satan. And so these people that were supposed to be the people of God, they had a, they had a monopoly on the currency. They determined the economy. We have people like this in our country right now. It's called the Federal Reserve. They control the currency. They control the rate of interest. Do you realize that the same system is president? It's, it's, it's present today. The same system, the Federal Reserve. Do you know the Federal Reserve is a private bank? Do you know that? It's a private bank. And so Jesus comes in. Who's your trust in today? Is your trust in the economy? Jesus comes in and he flips these very tables of the money changers. And not only does he flip their tables, but he goes down, down a little bit further down the temple and there's another table and it's called the table of judges. And so you would buy your sacrifice, right? And, and it says specifically that the people who were buying and selling doves, that's very significant. You could buy different kinds of sacrifices. If you had money, if you were from the suburbs, right? You came in, you bought a bull, you bought a ram, you bought the, the extravagant sacrifice, right? But if you didn't have very much money, if you're poor, if you're a widow, if you're somebody that, that was kind of on, on the skirts of society, 
And all you could afford was a small sacrifice you would buy a dove. And so Jesus comes in and he flips these tables. Why? 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 Why does he do it, right? What does this mean for today? He flips the tables because the very people that were meant to bring freedom and to bring life to the rest of the people, they were exploiting them, right? This whole system, they were taking advantage of the, of the, of the people that were on the outside. And so Jesus, when you think, right, in, in, your, in your religious mind, and we all have them, let's be honest, we all have our religious tendencies. In your religious mind, you think when Jesus goes into the temple, right, he's going to go hang out with the pastor, right? He's going to go hang out with the worship leader. But Jesus resists those that are on the inside and goes to those on the outside. This whole, this whole thing that happened, this whole scene, this whole thing that unfolded, it didn't happen just anywhere in the temple. According to scriptures, it happened in the court of the Gentiles. And a Gentile was anybody that was not Jewish. You were considered an outsider. You were considered unclean. That's why when Jesus comes to, to uh, somebody comes to him and asks for healing, and she says, even the dogs wait for the crumbs to fall. She was a Gentile wanting healing. It was like the Jews and the Sumerians. If you saw a Sumerian, you would go on the other side of the road. And so when, when you think Jesus would be with those on the inside, he was with those on the outside. And there was actually monuments, huge, huge stone monuments that were in the court of the Gentiles where there were these inscriptions that if you are not a Jew and you go past this point, you will be stoned to death. Do you know that when Jesus comes... And he, and he dies on the cross and he sheds his blood. Do you know what he says? He says that the veil is torn. The wall of separation is torn. There is one new man, right? We are together. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. There is no black. There is no white. Do you realize the kingdom of God? Do you realize this thing that we're a part of in here tonight? And so Jesus sides with those on the outside. Those that have been ostracized by the systems of religion. Which begs the question, which makes me ask, God, who are the outsiders that we have rejected? The temple in the day of Jesus was a place of enormous wealth. In the book of Josephus, there's stories. He was a first century Jewish historian. And in the book of Josephus, you can look it up. There's a story of, of Ananias and his sons. They were in charge of the money. And, and there's a story of the poor people being so oppressed and being taken advantage of so much by the rich people in the temple that they formed a riot and a rebellion and they burned the temple booths down and they dragged his sons to death. This was the world that Jesus was born into. Of revolt, of violence, of rebellion. And so Jesus forms his own rebellion. But it's not a rebellion with swords. What does he tell Peter? If you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. It's not a rebellion of violence. There is a violence, but it's his love. It's his mercy. It's his grace. Do you realize that Jesus' love is violent for you? His love is violent for you. Violent is the love of Jesus for you. If you feel like you're on the outside and you feel like you don't belong in a religious establishment, violent is the love of Jesus for you. He will flip tables. He will turn the tables of religion for you. 
Who are those that are on the outside? Who are those that have been ostracized? Do you realize that Jesus will leave the largest church in America to find the homosexual in Lakewood? Do you realize this? Do you realize Jesus will leave the biggest Christian concert, the conferences, to find the drug addict in the alley? Do you realize this is the kind of Jesus that you serve? He will leave the religious establishments of America to find the unclean, to find those who have been rejected, to find those who have been forsaken. He will leave it all. Hebrews 10.4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. See, there was a system that was in place that in order for you to be forgiven, you have to come in and you have to offer these sacrifices. But according to Levitical law, it is impossible for this to take away your sins. All it really did was ease your conscience. But Jesus comes in and he becomes the sacrifice. Do you know that today? That if you've feel far from God. Maybe you've never met this God. You know that you're separated from him. You know that your sin separates you from God and you, you're not right with God and you feel like you're on the outside. Do you know that Jesus himself, he wasn't one of these religious pa- people that sat at a table of judges. See, this table of judges, you had to bring your sacrifice after you bought it, right? And they had to inspect it. So you could have traveled all this way, took the little bit of money you had, bought this dove of a sacrifice, right? Remember, it was the poor, it was the widows that were buying the doves. And so they would take it to the table of the judges, and the judges would inspect the worship. In what ways have we inspected the worship of others and said it's unacceptable? No matter how far you feel from God today, He loves you. And he came to shed his own blood for you. Hebrew 9.22. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Do you realize that you cannot be connected to the creator without the shedding of blood? But the God that we serve isn't a God that stands in a distance. He's not a God that stands far away. But he himself comes and sheds his own blood. Ransom in the Hebrew is the word pidu, and it means to transfer ownership from one to another through the payment of a price. Atonement in the Hebrew is the word kapara, which means forgiveness and is based on the idea of a ransom. One person's life for another. See, when Jesus comes, it's not this system of religion. It's not this system that comes to exploit you. And I'm here to apologize to you tonight. For maybe the church that you've seen out there, maybe the places that you've been, and this religion has been this thing that has been used to take advantage and to exploit. And, and, and meanwhile, everybody is, is, is doing fine on the inside while people are starving outside their gates. That is not who Jesus really is. See, Jesus doesn't sit with those on the inside, but he goes with those on the outside. And he doesn't just sit back and say, you know, I'd really like to know you. He said, no, I will actually do something about it. And I'm not just going to say this, but I'm going to take it to the extent where I'm going to lay down my own life for you so you don't have to go through this whole system of religion and death. Matthew 8.28. You guys got a couple seconds? Matthew 8, 28. When he arrived at the other side in the region of Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men come from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs 
Again, pigs. We see pigs, an unclean animal, according to the law of God. Pigs, the things that were dragged through the temple. Pigs, the things that were sacrificed to false gods. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. Do you know that's where demons reside? They reside in the unclean. What are the pigs of our culture? That's where spirits reside in the unclean. He said to them, go. They came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. The city of Gadara was known, it was a Roman city that was known for raising pigs to sacrifice on behalf of the sins of the Romans to a false god. Do you see what's happening? Do you see the story that's being played out? Once again, Jesus is driving the spirit out. And he's saying, you don't have to offer sacrifices to a false god. I will lay down my very life to you. And so Jesus comes, and I'm going to ask the band to come with this. If you have to go, you are free to go. I understand some of you guys have child care. And so Jesus comes. So what is this all about? What is salvation? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What is salvation? What does this mean, right? Is it all about church? Do we just come here and go through these rituals? What is this really all about? Do you know Jesus, when Nicodemus comes to him and he begins to ask him, good good leader, good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? Jesus says, no man can see the kingdom of God unless he is being born again. Do you realize that salvation is more about seeing than going somewhere else when you die? Do you know that? Salvation is more about seeing more than just going somewhere when you die. Because if this whole thing is just about going to heaven when you die, I'm sorry. It's not enough for me. It may be enough for you, but it's not enough for me if this is just about going to heaven when you die. And don't get me wrong. There is a reality. There is a judgment day coming. There is an eternal heaven and eternal hell. Don't get it twisted. That's not what I'm saying. But if this salvation thing is just about when you die, it's pretty empty. But in the world of Jesus, in the eyes of Jesus, in the world of the disciples, salvation wasn't just about something and somewhere else that you go. When he tells his disciples, pray, thy kingdom come. Do you know what they're doing? Do you realize what's happening? He says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Do you realize that your life, your life was meant to be a window into the eternal world of God? Do you realize that your life is meant to be a window into the world to come? Jesus said, if anyone says to you, look, here's the kingdom or over there is the kingdom. He said, do not believe them because you know what? The kingdom of God is within you. So do you realize that when you're born again, when you come to Jesus, when you follow Jesus, that a nuclear explosion takes place inside of you, that the very power and the very kingdom of heaven is unleashed in your life. And do you realize that when that's unleashed in your life, and if the kingdom of heaven is within you, then anywhere you go, any person you touch, any person that you talk to, this same kingdom is unleashed in this world. Do you realize the salvation that you carry as the people of God? And I'm just going to open the altars. Maybe you need to get right with God tonight. I invite you to come up. Maybe your fire and your flames growing dim. Let me tell you something. You can't light your own fire. 
A preacher ain't going to light your fire. This worship is not going to light your fire. There's one candle back to the candle. There's a guardian candle. There is a servant. What does it say in the book of Isaiah? Jesus is the suffering servant. He is the only one. He is the one that stands in the midst of the seven menorahs in the book of Revelations. And he is the only one that can light your fire. Salvation isn't just about an escape from this world. But under the nose of this empire, we subversively bring the new heaven and earth here right now. Right now. Do you realize that the kingdom of God, you are right under the nose of the empire. You you are subversively bringing the kingdom of God right here, right now in the face, right in the face of all the death, the destruction, the war, the violence, the famine. Do you realize you have that ability as a believer to bring this kingdom here and now? When you come to Jesus, you are joining a rebellion. You are saying to this world, this is not all there is. There is another world, another story, another reality that is full of life, that is full of love, that is full of hope, that is full of redemption. We worship you, Jesus.